is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, 46, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Today, we're talking about the third day, three days. And the title of this message is three days makes a difference. Three days makes a difference, and what a difference those days made. Throughout Scripture, God used three days for a lot of different events. Uh, It wasn't only that Jesus was in the tomb for three days, as the Scripture foretold, and that we find out that he was. But uh, it also, after consecrating the people, Moses went onto the mountain and spoke to God, and on the third day, uh, uh, God came and, and spoke to the people. Abraham traveled, and on the third day, looking for the place to sacrifice Isaac, he looked up, and he saw the mountain of God, where he would go and find out who God was, that he was Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. Jonah was in the big fish. It wasn't a whale, by the way. It was a big fish. And he was in there for how many days? Three Three days. Lots of things in scriptures happened in three days. And those three days made a difference for all of those people. See, Abraham had to travel for three days before coming to the right mountain, the mountain of God, where God had already prepared a sacrifice to replace Isaac, if you remember that story in the Bible. It took Jonah three days in the belly of a whale to to really get to that point and be where he needed to be, where God wanted him to be. And Jesus took three days in the grave. Now, I want to tell you something. He didn't have to wait three days. God was not under some time limit. He could have raised Jesus Christ from the dead at any time. But there was some good reasons he chose to wait three days, making sure that everyone really realized he was dead. And he was raised on the first day of the week. A little history lesson. Often we think of Sunday as the last day of the week, right? You're like, ah, oh, tomorrow's Monday, a new week's beginning. Sunday, historically, is the first day of the week. Seventh-day Adventists, they celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday because Saturday is the Sabbath, Sunday is not. And, and so on the first day of the week, the church gathers together to celebrate what Jesus did on the first day of the week. It's the most important thing to start your day with. It's the most important thing to start your week with is the worshiping of Jesus. So, so coming together on Sunday, it always feels like the last day of the week. But if we can begin to, even in our minds, say, you know, this isn't the last day of the week. God, just get me to the last day of the week. But say, I'm going to start this week right by joining together with the saints of God to worship him. I'm going to put God first in everything that I do all the time. Amen? Amen. So, so just three days before the resurrection Sunday, what was happening? Think about this. If, if you've been reading your Bible this week and understand the events, three days before resurrection Sunday, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples. He was walking and he told them to go prepare for the Passover a meal that they would celebrate together. He had a meal with them. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful time of celebration, even though Jesus knew that he was about to be betrayed. After the dinner, they walked out of the dinner house, to, out of the, the upper room where they were having the dinner, and they walked upon the vineyards, and Jesus did some more teaching. And he went out to pray, and the disciples were just following him. It was seemingly an ordinary time until late in the garden when he was betrayed by Judas, and the, and the, the night of beatings and scourgings began. All throughout that night, 
Jesus was brought before Pilate and brought before the high priest Caiaphas and Annas. If, if you've read in there um, Annas' name and wonder who he is, Annas was uh, not the high priest at the time in the story, but he had been a previous high priest, but they brought him to him because he had authority and he had influence. And so Jesus was brought before all these people by his own people so that they could accuse him and condemn him. That was just three days before. Before that, we see Jesus in the weeks leading up to the crucifixion. We see Jesus continuing to do what he did. He was healing people. He was teaching. He came in on the triumphal entry just a week before this. Last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday where Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as people were praising and worshiping him. We're familiar with with the account. We've heard the sermons in church. We've gone to Sunday school. We remember Palm Sunday. We know some of these events. We've even seen them portrayed recently in, in, in books or in movies like The Passion of Christ and The Son of God. The story of the crucifixion has not been lost. We know the story. But do we know the Jesus who rose from the dead? Who are we in the story? Before the, the crucifixion, before the resurrection, Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples. He spent three years walking around. He, he influenced people. Some people say that Jesus was the most influential person who ever lived. But I want to talk a little bit about the difference between Jesus the man and Jesus who we believe is the Son of God. Because Jesus as a man influenced people enough that he got a crowd to follow him. He was teaching We know that on different occasions he taught to 5,000 where he taught and he fed them and on 3,000. So we know that he had a following. People were interested in his message. But were they following him? Were they listening to him? What level of commitment did they have? You know, Jesus spent his time also healing people. He healed paralytics and he opened blind eyes. He cleansed lepers. He set the demoniac free. He spent his life working with the people, influencing people. And I think we see uh, um, a great crowd of people willing to risk so much we talked about last week on Palm Sunday. See, see, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, uh, Israel was under Roman rule and they wanted to be freed from Rome and so they were looking for a king and they thought this Jesus just might be the guy to set him free. And so they were, people were putting their hope into Jesus. They were beginning to wonder if he was what was called the Messiah, the anointed one from God who had come and set them free. So they were watching. They were listening. And th- on that fateful day we talked about last week on, on uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem and they began to worship him. Now let me tell you about what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. The Passover celebration is a huge Jewish celebration. In, in the day, and they still will do this, they, people will come to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate the Passover. At this time in Jerusalem, when the time of Jesus, there was about twenty to 30,000 people living in Jerusalem. Probably about big bear size. And, and we can relate with this because on the Passover the population would swell to about 150,000 people. Sounds like 4th of July. <laughs> right? That's what Big Bear goes from 20 to 30,000 to about 150,000 on a busy 4th of July. And boy, we do not want to drive home after the fireworks on that. <laughs> right? And so we understand that in Jerusalem, like in Big Bear, there's no hotel rooms left. 
Now, if it was possible here, they would, have, they would probably do the same things that, that they did there. And in fact, they do. They were camping on every open spot. The people would come to Jerusalem and just set up a little camp spot to celebrate the Passover close to the temple. So there were 150,000 people in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus rode on his donkey coming in to celebrate the Passover. And he had disciples there that began to worship him, singing out this song, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were celebrating this guy coming in. And I believe that probably some of the people there didn't even know what was going on. But they just joined in and started going, hey, this sounds cool. Let's just celebrate. We know that that happens because we've been watching it on the news, people getting caught up in riots. They don't even know what they're there for. They just start hanging out and doing it. We know that you can go to a Christian concert and and just get caught up in the excitement of the music and and maybe celebrate and sing songs that you don't know. Uh, We see this happening all over the place. So I think some of the people there were just joining in, but there was a group of people. We don't know how many. Was it the whole 5,000 that he fed? I don't know. But there were hundreds, maybe thousands, welcoming Jesus into town last week. Now today, where are they? Well, I'll I'll tell you. Just a few hours ago, they were hiding. And some women went out to go to the tomb because they can't do anything on the Sabbath day. So they waited until the first light of day on the first day of the week to go and care for Jesus. So they go to the tomb. Now, the story and it's, it's not a story, it's an account, we understand the difference, is that the Roman and the, the Pharisees were afraid that the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus. They didn't want the disciples to begin to say that he had rose from the dead. They knew he, he, they said he was going to. And so they put at least 16 Roman soldiers out guarding the tomb, and they would go on shifts guarding and some would sleep and some would guard and they put a huge stone that some say would take about 20 men to move and they put that stone in front of the tomb and they sealed it off with a seal that so so if it was broken they would know if if the stone was there but jesus wasn't inside and the seal you know wasn't broken they say well you know the stone wasn't moved the scriptures tell us not just that the stone was rolled away But the word they use in the Greek is that it was moved from place to place. It wasn't even in place anymore. A rock that takes 20 people to move. And the the three Marys go to the tomb and they find the stone moved away. The angel there, he is not here. He is risen. Very good, class. He wasn't there. He was risen. (laughs) this could get fun the disciples they were really hiding they were hiding because they had put their hope and faith into a man who maybe failed them so when they begin to get the news that Jesus was alive they question and they don't even know that we find that Jesus was walking on the road next to two of them they didn't recognize and their eyes were, were blinded and then finally it was revealed that it was Jesus and they said our hearts burned within us it's him, he's alive and they began to get excited 
What happened to those 5,000 people? What happened to the 10 paralytics? What happened to blind Bartimaeus? Where is Nicodemus? Where are all the people who were healed and who listened to his teachings and followed him? Where are they all at now? See, lots of people approach Jesus in different ways and they're looking to get something from him. But did they understand that Jesus was not just a great teacher? Jesus wasn't just somebody who had power to heal. They knew that. They had experienced, some of those people experienced that he had opened their blind eyes. And they would be questioned. And he says, what? well, who was it? Says, I don't know who it was. All he said was to take up your mat and fall and walk. All he said was to open your eyes. And he healed me. I don't know much more about him. T- today, there's a lot of people just like then. We know of this Jesus. But who is he? The the story, the account of the resurrection is so important in Christianity because it really declares that Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a prophet. I was, uh, purposely this week, I went and watched a lot of interviews with people about who is Jesus. If you ever want to have some fun, go out and get a camera. If you have a camera, they'll, they'll probably respect you more. And go ask people this question, who was Jesus? say, who is Jesus? And, and, and you'll find out that there's a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. And one, one of the ladies I watched, she was very adamant. She was an older lady on, the, on one of the interviews. And he, she, the interviewer said, who is Jesus? And she says, who was Jesus? And then she says, because Jesus isn't anything. He was a teacher. She believed that he lived. You, you can't not believe that he lived, though some people actually still say today that Jesus is just a myth and a figment of somebody's imagination. There is more historical evidence that Jesus Christ lived on the earth than there was that Julius Caesar ever lived. There is more historical evidence to the, to, to the Bible than uh, Homer's, uh, Homer's the Iliad, the Odyssey, and many of the historical works that we totally believe in. The historicity of the Bible is, is so solid But people question, who is Jesus? Well, some say he was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was like Muhammad. He was a good man. He was a teacher. Every once in a while you'll find someone, he was was just a swindler trying to get something out of people. You know, most people, most cults, most people that start a religion, they have something in common. It's the three G's, right? Is that it, Robert? They get the gold. They get the girls. And they get the glory. Look at all of them. They start something, some religion, and they get the gold, the girls, and the glory. And Jesus got none of it. Jesus got none of it. But people have different opinions about who this Jesus was. So many of them in the interviews of asking, who is Jesus? Avoid this day, the resurrection. They might even talk about it, say, well, I believe this and I believe this, but I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe he's the son of God. I don't believe he was resurrected. He was just a good guy. There was, there was even some people today who will say, Jesus is the essence of everything good in the world. He is light. He is water. He is wind. 
Well, Jesus is more than that. He isn't the essence of good. He was the only good who ever lived on this earth. He lived a sinless life in a sinful world. He went against the grain on so many things. A great, a great uh, author came up that there was only three possibilities, Josh McDowell, three possibilities for Jesus. He says he couldn't have been a good man because he couldn't only have been a good man because he claimed to be the Son of God and he claimed to be God himself. See, good men don't lie. They don't deceive people. So there's only three possibilities with Jesus and that he was a liar because he said he was God, that he could free people of sin, that he would raise from the dead. And if he didn't do those things, then he's a liar. He's a lunatic, and he actually thought that he could do those things and that he was God, or he is who he says he is, and that's that he's the Lord of all creation. I want to encourage us today. I'm going to give us a couple of of people uh, who went out and tried to disprove the Bible, disprove the resurrection, disprove the writings of Paul, because they just, they, they didn't believe it, and they went out and they spent their life trying to dissuade people and to disprove this thing we call Christianity. Christianity all rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you about a few people, some of these you'll have heard of. In the mid-18th century, Lord George Littleton, he was a member of Parliament and Commissioner of the Treasury. He was in Oxford, and, and he and another gentleman, Gilbert West, determined to attack the basis of Christianity. Littleton set out to prove that Saul of Tarsus wasn't converted to Christianity, and West intended to demonstrate that Jesus never really rose from the dead. Each planned to do a painstaking job. They took a year to study and establish his case, but as they went, they finally concluded that Christianity was true, and both became Christians. In the 1930s, a rationalistic English journalist named Frank Morrison attempted to discover the real Jesus Christ. He was convinced that Christ's history rested upon insecure foundations, is what he said, largely because the influence of the rationalistic criticism uh, was prevalent in his day. So he wanted to go to disprove this, and he was opposed to the miraculous elements in the gospel. So, but he was fascinated with Jesus, so he went and, and began to study who this Jesus was this almost legendary figure of purity and manhood. So he had a respect for Jesus, but totally discredited any miracles. And he took this last phase in the life of Christ, and he tried to strip everything away from him and just look at the person of Jesus. And he said this, It seemed to me that if I could come at the truth, why this man died a cruel death at the hands of the Roman power, how he himself regarded the matter and especially how he behaved under the test, I should be very near to the true solution of the problem. And he wrote a book, but the book that he wrote was not the one he intended. He proceeded to write one of the most able defenses of the resurrection of Christ in our time called Who Moved the Stone? He went out to disprove it, and he just supported it, found it. There's another gentleman, an Italian named Giovanni Papini. You gotta say Papini like that. He was an atheist and an enemy of the church, and he was a self-appointed debunker of religion. And he came and converted to faith in Christ in 1921, and he penned the book Life of Christ, 
stunning all of his friends and admirers. A Cambridge scholar, this one you'll be familiar with, named C.S. Lewis, atheist, was converted to Christianity on the basis of the evidence. And, and he wrote this in the book, Surprised by Joy. He said, I thought I had the Christians placed and disposed of forever. But a young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles laid open. Millions of surprises. He came to faith trying to disprove Christianity. As a pre-law student, Josh McDowell, a skeptic of Christianity, believed that every Christian had two minds. One was lost, and the other was out looking for it. He went to investigate the Christian truth claims and count out, thinking that they're a farce, but in time he accepted the challenge. And as a result, he says, I found historical facts and evidence about Jesus Christ that I never knew existed. Two more. These are brilliant men. These were respected men trying to disprove Christ, trying to disprove the Bible or the resurrection. A man named John Warwick he was known as a brilliant philosophy student at Cornell. He was convinced, he was, he was a skeptic when it came to Christianity, but he was challenged to investigate the evidence too. He became converted. And there was the last one, I don't know if you know him, he was a famous author, Malcolm Muggeridge. Skeptic of Christianity, but the near the end of his life, he became fully convinced of the truth of the resurrection of Christ, writing the book, Jesus, the Man Who Lives. He wrote, the coming of Jesus into the world is the most stupendous event in human history. I'm going to read this quote. Sir William Ramsey, educated at Oxford, professor at Cambridge and Oxford. He had spent years deliberately preparing himself for the announced task of heading an exploration expedition into Asia Minor and Palestine, the home of the Bible, where he would dig up the evidence that the book was the product of ambitious monks and not the book from heaven as it claimed to be. He regarded the weakest spot in the whole New Testament to be the story of Paul's travels. These had never been thoroughly investigated by one on the spot. So equipped as no other man had been, he went to the home of the Bible. He spent 15 years literally digging for the evidence. In 1896, published a large volume, St. Paul the Traveler and the Roman Citizen completely convinced that the Bible account of, the, of Paul and his journeys was accurate. I just want to encourage you, don't even bother. <laughs> These people who've gone out to try to disprove Christianity, who are much smarter than me, much smarter than probably most of you, keep coming up to the same truth. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ was resurrected on the third day. The Bible is true. What it says about him is true. We serve a risen God. He is risen. So the, the story of the resurrection is what binds us all together because without the resurrection, we just have a story of a great man. But what if Jesus rose from the dead? What do we do with that? Were we the ones who just listen to his teaching and like to get a free meal every once in a while? Are we the ones who want to get a healing from him, get our need met from him, 
but are we willing to follow him when it's dangerous? One of the greatest proofs that the Bible is true, that the disciples were right and that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is the fact that the disciples who ran and scattered after the crucifixion came back together and began to proclaim that Jesus Christ lived. The reason that that's one of the proofs is they were doing it under threat of death. And 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. They died proclaiming Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. Now, I don't know about you. I've been convinced of things. And and in my past, I've been part of a scheme or two that wasn't true. How far do you go for a scheme? When they're threatening my life, long before that, I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The disciples went all the way. They believed in the power of the resurrection. They stuck their lives on it. The church, it looked like could have been 5,000 people with all the followers of Jesus. But after the resurrection, it was small. A number of the people had fallen away. They weren't really willing to stake their lives on Jesus' claims. But the disciples were. Just 40 days later, we find 120 And I think that's about the number of people who believed strongly in the resurrection, gathered together, praying. And Jesus sends them off with the Great Commission. This small group of Jewish believers, on the risk of prison and death, begin to spread the news that Jesus Christ is alive, that He's risen from the dead, that He conquered death, He conquered hell, He came back from death and ascended to be at the right hand of God. Church, that's the gospel message. That's the good news. The word gospel simply means good news. This good news began to change people, and it changes people today. But listen, it only changes people who will put their faith in it, who stake their lives on it. It's not just, it's not going to change you if you're just one of the 5,000 who like to listen to his teaching and get a free meal every once in a while. It changes the lives of those who say, I am fully committed and I believe that Jesus Christ wasn't just a good teacher. He doesn't just have some good things to say and help me have a better life today. But he died for my sins. He's the only way that I'll get to heaven. And I have to stake and put my life fully in him. And when you do that, he becomes the Lord of all, the healer, the teacher, the redeemer, the sanctifier. He pulls us out of darkness. He sets us free. Christianity is not built on the stories of a good man who wants us to be nice to one another. Don't listen to the world what they want to demote Jesus to be. Jesus wasn't just a great guy and, 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 and even in some of the interviews, he, he was a cool dude. And he just taught, he just taught to love and that's all he taught. No, he taught us to love and a whole lot more. He said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity's built on the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is far more than just a man. He was the Christ, the Messiah. The Bible makes it clear that he is God himself. 
And Jesus willingly died, even though he was innocent. He willingly died to pay the penalty for sins that you or I can't pay, couldn't pay, we'll never be able to pay on our own. He died to cancel a debt that we couldn't pay. He died to free us from sin, sorrow, and addiction. He came to bring hope to the hopeless. The Bible says he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus isn't just a nice guy and a good teacher. He actually overcame death. And he rose again to show us that we will rise too someday. This body that I'm living in is going to fall apart. And it was falling apart this week. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I was bedridden for a couple of days from a in, back injury. And then, and then in the middle of my back injury, I started passing kidney stones. Right? This body that we're living in, and some of you, 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 you get it, it's falling apart. But someday, because Jesus conquered death, this body's going to be done. But this spirit is going to live forever. Where will it live? The Bible tells us very clearly that those who believe in Jesus Christ accept Him as their Lord and Savior. We're willing to confess with their mouth to others that Jesus is Lord. Those are saved. You can't just make a mental assent or a nod. I think Jesus is cool. Church is pretty fun sometimes. Snacks on Easter were great. It's more than that. It's a full commitment, understanding that He wants to be our Savior, but He also wants to be our Lord. The word Lord is Master, is Boss. All of us in here are, are guilty. We, we've broken the laws of God. But Jesus Christ died to pay the price to cover the penalty for our sin. But we have to be willing to put our faith in it. We need to be the disciples, that small group of 120, not the group of 5,000 who we don't know where he's at any longer, staking their lives saying, I believe Jesus you rose from the dead. If you rose from the dead, you're God most high. I'll put my faith in you and I'll follow you. The song that the children were singing, they talked about learning his word and understanding who God is. That's what we all need to do is begin to find out who this Jesus is. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ who paid it all and says to us, follow me. Put your trust in me. I am the greatest treasure. He says the kingdom of God is like somebody who, who found a treasure in a field and buried it, went and sold all their possessions to buy the field so they could have the treasure. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is worth selling everything and buying it. That's an all-in statement. That's what Christianity is about. There's a part in Christianity that you lose your life, but Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. You'll gain it. 
I've come to give life and life full, life abundant. Many people don't want to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior because they think He's going to come and ruin their life. He's going to be the cosmic killjoy. That's why they can't accept that He's the Lord. The real question is, is not, why don't you believe it? It's, what are you scared of? What are you scared of? And if people get honest, they'll say, well, I'm scared that He's going to make me do something. I'm scared He's going to make me give up something. I'm scared that He may reject me. They're scared of something. And I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to receive you fully and to give you life and to set us free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, He said. I put my faith, my all-in in Jesus when I was about 15 years old. You know, and it's not always easy, but I always have hope. And I always know that Jesus is walking with me. I will encourage you this morning, wherever you're at in your walk, see, we're all on our faith journey. Every one of us is on a faith journey. You might have just come this morning because it's what you do at Easter or somebody invited you, uh, and you might have no, really no idea, but you're still on a journey. I pray that you'll make it to the right place before the end of your life. None of us are at the exact same place in this life. You, maybe you've accepted Christ at some point and, and, and you're, you're kind of trying to figure this out, but wherever you're at, I want you today to ask you, are you willing to put your all in into Jesus? You might even not know what that is at the, at the moment. Say, I don't know what he has in store, but I believe the facts say that he is who he says he is. If they could disprove Christianity, here's a little secret, they would have done it. 2,000 years, and they haven't erased it because it's true. You can stake your life on it. And Jesus Christ was more than a carpenter, more than a teacher, more than a good man. He wants to be your Savior, your Lord, Let's bow our, our heads. I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward. I'm going to ask, if you're here this morning and have never put your faith, your all in into Jesus, you want to do that today. No one's looking around, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not even going to come and talk to you afterwards. But as a statement of, of that faith, if you'll just... Raise your hand and say, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. If you're in this room this morning and you know that you are not where God wants you to be and you've maybe been just listening to His teachings and coming for snack too often, and you're ready to commit your life deeper into Christ. You've done it before, but you're saying, Lord, I want you to have all of me. I'm going to recommit my life to you. And now I'd like you, heads bowed, to raise your hand. Make that statement. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray. Praying is just another word for talking. So we're not going to be all spiritual about it. Just begin to talk to God. Say something like this. God, I see that Jesus 
truly was who he said he was. He overcame the grave and he rose again after dying for my sins and he did it for me that I might have life. I want to follow Jesus. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you become my Lord and Master today? Will you help me to turn away from my my sin, my life, the things that are holding me from you and give me courage and strength to follow you each and every day? Walk with me. Show me show me how to live. Show me the things that aren't pleasing to you. Today, I'm all in because three days made a difference. I'm all in. Father, I would pray for all of us today as we're on this faith journey, figuring things out, that you would help us to seek you first. Seek the kingdom of God and all these other things will begin to be added. God, help us to... To, to look to you for the answers. Come to you in our, in our, in our needs, in our questions, and our concerns. Help to open up our eyes, open up our hearts more and more. Be willing to follow you wherever you lead us. I thank you that today is Resurrection Sunday and that you have resurrected us who believe in you and that we together will live because he is risen. We pray these things in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you're visiting with us this morning, make sure you fill out one of those connection cards and go to the booth, and Melissa will meet you over there. If you have any questions or need prayer, come and find one of the leaders or myself. We'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions, baby dedication, any of those things. There's, if the kids didn't eat it all, there could be some snacks left. Please get those because otherwise we have to take them home. Amen. Get, get to know some people. I'm so glad you were here today. God bless you.